welcome everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of Revelation, which is it's near the end of the book, it's the last book of the Bible. Uh, if not, if you don't have a Bible, the words will appear as if by magic in a, on the screen behind me in a moment or two. We've been working through a short series from the book, or from this book of Revelation, uh, from chapters two and three, where you find seven letters that are written to seven uh, different churches um, that have that are packed with meaning for us today. So what we've been doing over the last sort of five or six weeks is uh, taking a, one of these letters each week and just seeing what Jesus has to say to us. So today we are going to uh, look at the letter to the church in Philadelphia, which is uh, was a city in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey, also a city where Bruce Springsteen once walked. But there you go. That's an, another story. Anyway, right, so I'm going to read from verse 7 of Revelation 3 uh, through to verse 13. These are Jesus' words. He says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I'll make them come and bow down before your feet. They will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I'll keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, we, we want that to be true for us today, that all of us who have ears, which is all of us today, that we would hear what you, Holy Spirit, want to say to us, your church here in this city. We pray you would speak to us, that your word would come to us and bring life and hope that you would speak into all the different situations of our life and realign our lives back to you and your purposes and your kingdom. We pray, Holy Spirit, you be at work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was a, when I was a teenager, I was about, I don't know, 14, 15 years old, and I discovered the music of DJ Shadow. Has anyone heard of DJ Shadow? No. Oh, you guys are missing out. 
about. What he was famous for was of sampling. He'd take little samples, little cuts from other records and put them into his own music, which at the time was pretty revolutionary because this was before people were using computers to make music. He was, he'd go to old record stores and pick up vinyl, music from the 60s and 70s, and he'd splice, he'd cut, he'd sample little moments of these songs and he'd drop them into his own music with all these kind of breakbeats and dance stuff. It was really fun. Uh, a, a modern equivalent would be, well, a bit more modern, would be what Daft Punk do with their music. Most of their songs take a hook or a riff, a sample from someone else's music, and they build it into their own. They kind of uh, rejuvenate, re-energize this old music and bring it to life. They take these little samples and breathe new life into them. And the Bible does that all the time. It doesn't take old vinyl from the 60s and 70s, but the Bible particularly the New Testament, takes words from the Old Testament and sort of samples them. It takes these little hooks, these verses, these words, these little echoes that go through all the Bible and it breathes new life into them. In one way, you could describe the whole of the Bible as one giant daft punk album because there are so many different links, like hyperlinks in the text that go back to somewhere else, these hooks and samples. And that's what... Jesus is doing here where he says the words of the Holy One the true one who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens Jesus has sort of lifted that verse he's sampled it right out of the book of Isaiah chapter 22 let me read it to you it says in Isaiah 22 in that day I will call my servant Elikim the son of Hilakiah And I'll clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to the house of Judea. And then here's the sample coming in. I'll place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. Jesus is quoting right from Isaiah 22. Which for us, you might think, oh, that's interesting. That's, that's fascinating. That's nice that the Bible does that. It's very clever. Brings some integrity to this book. It's not all just sort of made up, but it has a kind of a synergy through the whole thing. But for those who had received this letter, this church in Philadelphia 2,000 years ago, who many of them would have, they would have known this book. They would have known their Old Testament, the Torah. They would have known it inside out. Uh, And for those who uh, had a background in the Jewish faith, those words from Isaiah would have have hit them like like a hammer. They would have come with life to them. Whereas we may hear it and think, oh, that's interesting. They would hear it and think, wow, that's powerful. Because this figure, Elikim, who it's writing about in Isaiah 22, who is given these keys of the house of David that will open what no one else will open and shut what no one else will be able to shut. It's talking about what Jesus is saying is he is the sort of the better, greater Elohim that's come. He will shut what no one else can shut. He will open what no one else will open. He has the keys. Keys are a sort of a sign of control, a sign of sovereignty, a sign of his authority. 
And that what, this, what he's trying to communicate to this church 2,000 years ago, what he's trying to communicate to us today is that we have access. Or we have access. That these keys take us somewhere. That they give us access to a place. And then he goes on to say that therefore because of that, we're able to endure patiently through all the different circumstances of life. We're able to hold fast the words he uses because we have access and that's the theme of what we're going to get into today. So the big question I guess is well where do we have access to? I don't know if you've ever brought a a home or rented a home or apartment and you get given the keys and it's a big moment receiving the keys but there's always one key that you don't really know what it does right? You've got the key that opens the front door, the key maybe with the windows, the key for the back door to get you onto the balcony, and there's just a random key. What does this do? And I've still got a key on my, on my key ring that I don't know what it does. And one day I'm going to find out. It's going to be very exciting. I'll discover a whole new room in my house that I never knew was there. But what do these keys do? Well, what I think Jesus is trying to realizes that the access that we're given is the access into him and to his plans. Let me read quickly from Romans chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, the access we've been given to, the access that Jesus is giving them into is to his presence. And we receive this access by his grace, by his power. That's, again and again, the New Testament brings up this theme of access. That because of the work of Jesus, we have access to God. Again and again and again. The book of Revelation finishes with this picture of this beautiful wedding banquet that we're invited to and what this book speaks to us is that in many ways we're 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 like um we should be like the sort of the 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 people who have their kind of eyes pressed up to the glass of the fanciest restaurant in our city saying I'd love to be able to get in there one day but I don't have the right clothes I don't have enough money I'm just not smart enough, posh enough, rich enough to go and eat in there. But then Jesus gives us access. We get to come and feast at his table. We get to come and enjoy knowing him, being with him, having his access. We've received access by the grace of God. And we've received access despite our strength. Well, he says to this church in Philadelphia in in verse 8 is that I know that you have but little power and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name see their access isn't because they're strong he writes to some of these other churches in these letters and the churches seem to be he's got some warnings for them but some of them seem to be healthy they have some strength and vitality to the last church we were looking at last week in Sardis, he said you have the reputation of being alive. They had a reputation of some sort of strength to them. But this church doesn't have that at all. There's nothing, there's nothing fancy about them. There's nothing grand about them. They didn't have 
much to really brag or boast about. They were probably just a small community just trying to work out their faith in a city that often felt opposed to what they believed. There was nothing strong about them. But in the kingdom of God, it's our, our weakness never defines us. In the kingdom of God, the, the, the power dynamic that our world holds to is flipped completely the way around. That when we become weak in his kingdom, that's when we become strong. When we become aware of our frailties and our vulnerabilities and we put our trust in Jesus instead, that's when we gain strength. And they have their access to his kingdom through his door despite any strength that they might have. And they also have access despite of their circumstances. It says that they've, there's this synagogue of Satan. Jesus loves to use these strong phrases in these letters who are, who it seems as though this, there's a group of people who are pretending to be Jews that they're not, that have denied access to this little community. That in their city at that time, there was some persecution taking place, that they were weak, that they were vulnerable, that they didn't get to do everything that they needed to do. They were cut out, cut off from the lifeblood of their city. And yet, despite their circumstances, what Jesus is saying to them is, you might not have access to that synagogue. And for them at the time, access to the synagogue would have been a big, a big deal. That was a, would have been a prominent uh, kind of center of community life. It would have been not where, just where they would have gone to worship, but where they would have gone to do trade and business, to, to fraternize with the people in power and authority, to make decisions. And they can't do that. Their access has been denied. But Jesus says, you have access to a greater place. You have access into the kingdom of God. Sometimes to be a Christian in a city like ours may mean that some doors are shut to you because of what you believe. Maybe in your career that there's a path that you want to go down. There's things that you think, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. But you can't get there. You can't, you can't make those steps. Because to do it would mean you'd have to compromise on your faith. To do it would mean perhaps you might even have to deny Jesus' name or deny some of what this book teaches. And Jesus' message to us is the place, the most important door that you get to go through, the place where access is most important, you have it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have it. Despite your strength, despite your circumstances, we're given access. And this access that we're given is, is permanent now. In verse, verse 12, he says to us, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. We're, once you've been welcomed into the kingdom of God, that access is wonderfully permanent. Because it's accessed by his grace. See, when it comes to your salvation, when it comes to knowing Jesus, you bring nothing to the table. There's nothing. In fact, the only, you've one, I guess you could say there is one thing you bring to the table, and that's your sin. 
that you need redemption from. That's the only thing we bring to Jesus in our salvation is we bring our, our sin, our failing, our weakness, and he exchanges that for his forgiveness, for his kindness. And then what he chooses to do is to remember that sin no more. It's forgotten. It's erased. It's blotted out. To be a Christian means that your Father in heaven looks on you and looks on you as if you'd never sinned. That's what it is to know the grace of God, that God looks on you now as though you'd never sinned. Because you have the righteousness of Jesus on you. And that means that you can't get booted out, you can't get kicked out. Your, your access is permanent to his, to his kingdom, into his family, into the household of God. You've been able to walk through the door and gain access because none of it had anything to do with you. He chose you, he called you, he forgave you, he's given you this wonderful access. And his access is in the name of the king. Again, he says to them in verse, in verse 12, never shall he go out of it, and I'll write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven, my, and my own new name. See, when you've been given access in the, the name of someone, you've been given an access all areas pass and it says in the name of the king that means you're in like no one else can dispute that <laughs> no one else can kick you out if you say well the, the king said I could be here well then you're, you're okay you're in and that's the kind of access that Jesus has given us that's the assurance he's given us to him so Jesus' message to this church is that they have access, but also that they then need to hold fast. It says in verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I'll keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have. That's Jesus' message to his people to hold fast to what we have and the bible is full of all these encouragements again and again a lot of the times where the bible talks about the access that we have to god as believers in him it then goes on to say that we should hold fast or that we should stand firm or to stand in it again that passage i read from romans at the start of the message through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've been given this access by the grace of God and yet we're told again and again to stand in it, to hold fast in it, to put our feet down on it, to stand firm on it. What does that mean? What's Jesus trying to say to us? First of all, that holding fast, it requires a deep assurance of your access. We, we hold fast in God because we're held fast in him. We, we, we're able to stand up and stand firm in his presence because we know we're supposed to be there. If a robber, a thief breaks into my home 
and I'm there, and he says, get out, this is my house, I would say, well, but it's my house. I mean, I'm, in this example, I'm imagining he's holding no kind of weapons or anything, because then I might respond differently. I'm the one with a weapon, okay, in this illustration. If he comes into my house, I'm not going anywhere, because it's my house. Perhaps a better analogy would be if one of you came into my home and said, get out, I'd say, oh, nice to see you, Ludo, but off you go, this is my home. <laughs> if you want, ask nicely and I might make you a cup of tea, but this is my house, I'm staying here. Because I've got a deep assurance that it's my home, that I have the keys to my house, that I've lived there. And Jesus is saying he has the keys and he's given you access to his presence, to have relationship with him. Believer, there's a deep assurance, a deep conviction you can have in your heart that you're supposed to be with him. Because we have an, an enemy all the time who will tell us that we're not supposed to be there, that we haven't performed enough, that we haven't lived holy enough, that we've let God down, that we've failed God, that we've broken our promises to him. And yes, that's all true. No one here is perfect, but yet each of us here is covered by his grace, that we have access to his presence. And this holding fast, it requires a deep assurance of our access, but it also requires a deep conviction of the, the lordship, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. See, these keys, were, this is a sign that he's in control. A sign that he opens and he shuts so no one else can. And despite their lack of power despite the present trouble that they're going through that they can trust that they can hold fast that they can patiently endure because they know ultimately Jesus is in control and when we look upon our lives look upon all the challenges that come to us the rich conviction we can have in our hearts is that Jesus is in control when other press conference comes and we discover, oh, this corona thing is still going on and it seems to be getting worse again. And oh, what, what's the world coming to? What does this mean for my career, my study, my relationships? How are things going to work? Jesus is in control. He has authority. He knows what he's doing, that we can trust him. We can build our lives upon him. And even Jesus says to his church, to us, in Matthew 16, when he commissions Peter, he gives him keys and he says, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. There's a wonderful assurance that we can know as his church, as his people here in this city, that he knows what he's doing that we can build our lives upon him, that we can trust him, that we're now citizens of this new Jerusalem that's come down from heaven. In the book of Philippians, it says we're, we're now citizens of heaven, that we've got a new address, a new identity as believers in him. And we can hold fast in his ruling over all of creation. So holding fast requires a deep assurance 
of our access, the deep conviction of his sovereignty. And it also, as well as requiring some things, it results in some things. First of all, this holding fast, what it will result in is confident prayer. As a believer, we, when we come to God in prayer, you can come boldly and confidently. If you see how Jesus teaches his disciples, teaches us how to pray in the Gospel of Matthew, the famous Lord's Prayer, he doesn't say to first of all come and ask for your forgiveness from your sins. Not even second or third of all. It's way down the list. First of all, he just comes and he calls us just to come and worship. He calls us to come and pray to our holy God, our Father in heaven, and pray for his kingdom to come, his will to be done. So it says, first of all, come and worship. Second of all, you know, get out your prayer list. Pray for things that are important to you. Pray for God's kingdom to work. Pray that he'd provide you with all that you need for your daily bread. And then you can come and say, God, there's some stuff in my life I need to tell you about. And he'll say, I know. Here's my forgiveness. Here's my mercy. Here's my grace afresh. Yet we seem to think, I, I, I do this all the time, I get into the mistake of, I come to God with a heavy heart, aware of all my failings, and I want to pour them out to God first. And you don't need to do that. You can wait. And first of all, just come and his joy, his grace. You can come confidently into his presence. He doesn't say hold fast or sit firm. He says stand firm. I remember being a teenager in a, in a prayer meeting and just praying like this with my head. There's people often pray, my head pointed at the floor. And someone came up to me and just said, why are you looking at your feet? <laughs> You're forgiven. You can hold your head high when you pray. And also, obviously, there's a, we, we bow our heads. We can do it out of a reverence before a holy God, which is a wonderfully good thing to do. But if you're bowing your head before God when you pray out of a sense of shame, you've, you've misunderstood it. That's not how you have to come to God now. As a believer in him, you can come with your head held high because Jesus looks upon you and you're forgiven. The Father just sees the righteousness of Jesus on you as though you'd never sinned. So you can come and enjoy him. You can come confidently. You can come boldly. You can come boldly and pray. We can come and pray that God would open doors for us, and he will, and he does. Holding fast results in confident prayer. Holding fast also can result in bold mission. See, when we're suddenly aware of the access we have to God and his sovereignty over all things, we're suddenly aware that we're now citizens of this new Jerusalem of the kingdom of heaven. What it does is it forms the people of God into a new community, a distinct community, trying to build a, a, a better version of our city, trying to show our city what true community, what true family can look like. We're not just a sort of a club that meets here 
This isn't just sort of a place where you can go and sing a few songs and then walk out the door. This is, we're a family together. We're a community together. And in how we do life together, we send this powerful witness to our city of the transformative power of his grace. And that can feel difficult in this corona season where we don't get to go into our workplaces, we don't get to see people as much as we're alike, but the, whatever moment we're in, whatever moment you're in personally, maybe your own life feels locked down, maybe the stage of life you're in as a, as a parent, or in your career, or in your relationships, but the, the moment you're in is never bigger than the mission that we're on. That's true for you personally, but it's true for us as a church. God's called us to do something here. Not something uniquely to us, but for all of the churches here in this city. I I just want to see the love of God poured out on this city again and again. You can read about it in, uh, in, uh, in many of Paul's letters. The Apostle Paul, he's often praying... And he's often stating that God has opened a door for them to effective ministry. God opens doors into his presence, but he also opens doors to us because he wants his name to be made famous in this city. And that's what the church is here for. That's, we're, we're a people that have been sent to this city. None of you stumbled in here by accident. God brought you here for a reason. He brought you into this family, into this people for a reason, that we could take the love of Christ and share it with our city. See his name made famous in this place. And that can, that can be challenging, that can be hard. Jesus says to them here that they need to uh, keep enduring, keep being patient, keep persevering, keep holding fast. And often being on mission for Jesus requires that, that sense of resilience. But when we know that he's sovereign, when we know that he's in control, it gives us great confidence. Finally, we hold fast in Jesus, knowing that he has ultimately overcome for us. See, there's this dynamic that we're trying to balance all through this message, all through this series, this sense on one hand that he's got the keys, he's given us access But at the same time, he tells us to hold fast. He tells us to overcome. You think, how does that work? It seems to be saying, on one hand, we seem to be saying the grace of God allows us to enter, but also we need to overcome to enter. What is going on here? These two ideas seem in contradiction, but they're, they're not at all. One follows on from the other. You've been given access as a believer of Jesus, and therefore you hold fast. One follows on from the other. I was reading this week in my daily Bible reading from the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a wonderful little book in the Old Testament where the people of God have been, they were kicked out of Jerusalem, they've been in exile, and Nehemiah takes some of them back to the city. And they try and rebuild their faith, they try and rebuild the city. And the book of Nehemiah is about him trying to rebuild the walls around the temple of God. And in Nehemiah chapter four, uh, they, they begin to face opposition. There are people that are beginning to stand against the people of God. And this situation is beginning to look threatening. It's been, they're beginning to feel scared and overwhelmed. What's gonna happen to us? 
So Nehemiah kind of gathers all the people together. He holds this little meeting and he tells them that we're going to need to fight. You need to fight for your brothers and your sisters, your sons and daughters. We need to fight for each other. Kind of a big kind of rallying Braveheart moment. Yeah, let's go. And then they go away and they, they, they position themselves around the wall. And the opposition's still there and they're still fearful of what's going to happen. So Nehemiah gathers them again. But this time he gathers them all together and he says, we can stand firm, firm because our Lord will fight for us. And it's, it's this beautiful picture of how it works in the kingdom of God that we're called to, to stand firm. We're called to live out our faith against an enemy who wants to tempt us and lead us astray against all the trials that we might face in life. We're called to hold fast, to stand firm. But in all of that, we always know that he's fighting for us. That even in every little step that you take, that behind the scenes, he's put his spirit within you to enable you to do that. That we have a savior who's ultimately fought for us. Jesus, he's won the battle for us. He has overcome for us. So each of us can overcome by his grace. I just want to finish before we close and just read a short passage from John chapter 10, where again, this is Jesus speaking. He says in verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. Very simple verse, let me read it again. I am the door. It's these keys that we've been holding. What door are they gonna open? Well, that's Jesus. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. It's wonderful good news for all of us, but particularly if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, there's an invitation for you today. It says at the end of, back in, in Revelation, uh, in the letter that we're gonna come to next week, in verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door today for you if you don't know Jesus. Just to hear his voice speaking to you. And just step through that door and you can gain this wonderful access. And you, can, you might think, oh, but all these things that I've done, you'd step through that door and you'd discover his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace. Maybe you're a believer here and you're just struggling with an overwhelming burden of your guilt and shame. You can know that you've already stepped through that door, that you've already got access by his grace not because of anything you've done, but because of his mercy alone. Well, I'm gonna pray for us and then Gavin's gonna jump up and lead us in communion. Why don't we just stand to our feet together if you're comfortable to do that. Jesus, we just wanna thank you for your 
wonderful sovereign grace poured over our lives. And we want to build our lives on that wonderful good news that in you we, we bring nothing to the table except our sin which you forgive us of. And we just want to come and celebrate and rejoice in your wonderful grace despite our circumstances, despite how weak we might feel, we want to just come and enjoy your grace, your love, forgiveness poured out to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.